We do appreciate the worship team and their willingness to be a part of leading us to the throne each week. It is nice to have some of the vacationing folks back, especially Margie. It's great to see you back with us. We're going to begin this morning with a scripture reading found in Luke chapter 14. I'm going to ask if, uh, actually, is it going to be on the screen? No. So why don't you turn in your Bibles. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 35. It's a great passage that deals with Jesus dealing with disciples, uh, showing people and telling people what it is that he calls them to. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 35. This is what it says. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is, either fit, it is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Let's pray. Father, as we have read that word now, I pray that you would apply it to our hearts. Help us to realize that this is not something that just applied 2,000 years ago. But even today, it meets us where we are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The following are actual responses on comment cards given to the staff members at Bridger Wilderness Area in 1996. Now, I know it's almost 20 years ago, but it's still the same idea. The trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. Too many bugs and leeches and spiders and spider webs. Please spray the wilderness to rid the areas of these pests. Please pave the trails. Chairlifts need to be in some places so that we can get to, uh, to wonderful views without having to hike them. The coyotes made too much noise last night and kept me awake. Please eradicate these annoying animals. A small deer came into my camp and stole my jar of pickles. Is there a way I can get reimbursed? Escalators would help on steep uphill sections. A McDonald's would be nice at the trailhead. And there are too many rocks on this mountain. These comments and complaints indicate that the people who made them do not really understand what it really means to stay in a wilderness area. They were looking for something convenient and they were looking for something comfortable, but not truly a wilderness experience. In a similar way, many people today do not understand what it means to be a genuine Christian. 
There are multitudes that often follow Jesus or claim to be a Christian, but they do so on their own terms as opposed to his terms. They do not truly comprehend the biblical definition of discipleship. Because of this ignorance, there are many who consider themselves to be followers of Jesus Christ, yet they really are not, even though in many ways they do look like followers of Jesus. They go to church, they have a profession of faith, they may read their Bibles, they pray, even give in the offering, but they are not the real deal, or at least not living and thinking like the real deal. Jesus confronts this problem in our text today. He makes very, very clear what it means to be a Christian, and therefore, there is no reason for anyone to be ignorant of this. We'll take a look at Jesus' definition of discipleship in just a moment, but before I do, I want to explain the word disciple, which is repeated several times in the passage this morning. A disciple is a true follower of Jesus Christ. In other words, what we would call a Christian. We assume that everyone who is a Christian is a true follower of Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, you are a disciple. If you are not a disciple, as Jesus defines you, I know this is a difficult statement, but you are probably also not a Christian. These two terms, disciple and Christian, mean the same thing in the same way that if I were to say my spouse, I'm really referring to my wife. They're the same, they're interchangeable. And the same thing is true with disciple and Christian. I've had individuals heard it in the church, individuals who have said, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't know that I'm really a disciple. I gotta tell you, you can't be one or the other. You have to be both. In fact, the term disciple occurs 269 times in the New Testament while the term Christian only occurs three times. In the book of Acts, we're told that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. This makes clear that the terms are interchangeable. The disciples are to be Christians. The Christians are to be disciples. I want this to be clear because I believe it greatly clarifies, clarifies the seriousness of what Jesus is saying. For instance, Jesus' words in verse 27 that we read earlier said, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. But what if we change that and it said, anybody who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot even be considered a Christian. That phrasing somehow gets our attention a little more quickly. Today, as we continue this series on Back to the Basics, I want us to see what it means to truly be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Verses 25 through 27, we read earlier, the first thing I want you to see is to whom Jesus is speaking. Luke notes that large crowds had followed Jesus and that Jesus turned to them and elaborated on being a disciple. Notice that Jesus was not talking to those who were antagonistic towards him or those who were uninterested in his life or his message. Instead, he is talking to those who they were following. They were hungry. They wanted what this guy had. They saw him as uh, an individual with great authority and great power, and they wanted to be a part of what he was doing. These were people who were traveling with Jesus. 
they were positive in their attitude toward him. They were interested in what he had to say, yet they apparently mistook this positive attitude and interest in Jesus for true discipleship, as many people do today. They considered themselves to be fully devoted followers to Jesus, yet in reality, they were simply casual followers of Jesus. They were willing and even anxious to follow Jesus, providing the cost was not too high or the demands too great. They were like many people today who do Christian things, like go to church, pray, sing Christian songs, give, etc., but are not really committed to Jesus Christ. You know, you come to church on a Sunday morning and you, you worship the Lord. You leave here and you tell people, yeah, I'm a Christian. You even put the big smile on. Maybe you put something on Facebook to identify your faith. But let me ask you, if the going gets tough, will you still hold on to that same faith? If by some chance, somewhere along the way, the church or an individual were to not be what they, you thought they should be, would you continue to walk in that faith? Or is our faith so fragile that one decision, one choice by somebody else would keep us from being the Christians that God called us to be? I will tell you, I am so grateful for the grace that God offers to me. I am so grateful for the fact that even though I have made mistakes over and over again, I have even found myself in sin at times, God's grace has made up for that. And I am so grateful for that. But I'm also grateful for the fact that sometimes God's way is not my way. There are a lot of things I appreciate about the Christian life. And one of the best ones is the fact that God doesn't always do things my way. I hate when something goes outside of my plans, but isn't it good to know that God is in control even when something like that happens? Let me challenge you to realize today that if your faith is so fragile that one mistake by somebody else or one decision by God to go in a direction that you didn't plan, if, if your faith is so fragile that that compromises your faith, then maybe you need to look a little closer at your faith. See, because God didn't call us to be casual followers. When everything's going our way, we'll be like him. He called us to be committed followers of Jesus Christ. The individuals that were following Jesus were willing and even anxious to follow him, but they were not truly committed to what God called them to. In a sense, they were along for the ride, but they were unwilling to give up everything in their lives that conflicted with following Jesus in a committed way. They were like many today who looked to Jesus to solve their money problems, their relationship problems, their health problems, but who grow disillusioned and unwilling to obey Christ completely when following Jesus doesn't solve their problems or following Jesus requires real sacrifices in their lives. These large crowds we're casual followers, not committed followers. Which one are you? You're a casual follower or you're a committed follower? 
Jesus addresses his mistake, this mistaken understanding of discipleship in verse 26 and 27. He explains in vivid and clear terms what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. In summary, Jesus' message in these two verses is this. To be a disciple of Jesus, you must be committed to him above everything else. In verse 26, he talks about hating our family and even ourselves, but the message is not really about hatred toward our family or ourselves. Remember, God is a God of love, so it's not his desire that we would hate people, but rather it is to make clear that those people cannot be our first priority. If we reach a point that we love our family more than we love God, something is wrong. And I'm not telling you you should hate your family. You should love your family. You should embrace your family. You should do everything you can to pour into your family, but understand they must be secondary to your relationship with God. When he says you must hate your brother, he, you must hate your sister, you must hate even yourself, he's not saying to hate those things, but rather in their culture, in the Jewish culture, what he is actually saying is you make sure that you don't love them more than you love me. Remember the, the individuals who wanted to be disciples? They came to Jesus and they said that they wanted to follow Jesus, but each one of them had an excuse of what they needed to do. One needed to go back and bury his father. That's the one that most of us are most familiar with. Uh, big, biggest thing there is Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. If you remember the story, the man, he seemed very genuine. He wanted to be able to go and to serve Jesus, to be his disciple. But he had other things that he had to take care of. That's really what it came down to. And I think what I want you to really see here is that in everything, Jesus must come before our loved ones, our self-interests, our possessions, our careers, our hobbies, our goals. In practice, this commitment to Jesus will be tested. And sometimes, in a moment of weakness, Jesus will not come first in our choices. But genuine disciples will continue to put other things behind Jesus. Jesus is not speaking of our emotional feelings toward him or our families, but rather he is speaking of our level of commitment to him. He is saying that our commitment to obey and follow him must be greater than everything else in our lives. For instance, if following Jesus obediently results in problems or interferes with your closest relationships, will you still follow him or will you choose to walk away? It's, no, it's not a mere hypothetical situation. In some countries, following Jesus can sometimes mean being kicked out of a family, losing your children. In our country, I think of young couples who are sex dealing with sexual temptation. And it's overcome them, and they know that the best thing for them spiritually is to get out of that relationship, but at the same time, it's so hard, and they're, they're in a position where they must choose. Will I walk with God, and will I be that disciple who is truly committed to him above all else, or will I choose what I want? Will I get the thing that I'm looking for for that immediate pleasure? This is a legitimate question that we must ask, are we truly disciples of Jesus Christ? Know that Jesus Christ must come before every 
relationship, everything. In fact, the next thing that I would say to you is this. To be a disciple of Jesus, you must be committed to him above everything else. It's the same thing I said before. You're going to hear this repeated over and over again this morning. We must not only love or be committed to Jesus more than to our loved ones, but we must also be committed to him above our, our own lives. As Jesus says in verse 26, this refers to our physical lives, which we must be willing to surrender for Jesus' sake. It also refers to our self-lives, which means our personal desires, our goals, our interests, the things that we have, the things that we want. They must be secondary to Jesus Christ. If following Jesus means forfeiting these things, then we must be willing to do that. Again, it's not a hypothetical situation. It's something that people have to choose regarding every day. To be a disciple of Jesus, you must be committed also above our own lives. Jesus used a metaphor in verse 27 to reemphasize his point. Everyone present was familiar with what Jesus was referring to when he talked about carrying his cross. It was a cultural thing. Individuals who were punished for crimes, often if it was a capital offense, had to carry their own cross to a place where they would be punished for their sin, for their transgression. They would often, in fact, you've heard the story of Jesus. He is actually doing the same thing that other individuals had to do often. The only difference is Jesus didn't commit the crime. But the people knew what a cross was. It was not unusual in their time to look out on the hillside and see many crosses that would have speckled the horizon where individuals were being punished for what they had done. But they didn't just go up and find a cross and hang them. What they would do is they would punish the offender, the criminal, and as they punished them, they would then strap this cross to them and they would make them carry it through the streets to go to their place of execution. So when Jesus says to them that they must be willing to carry their cross, the cross was a cruel form of punishment that they all understood. Everyone knew that this person, when they carried that cross, they were saying goodbye to everything. Once the individual had taken up the cross, there would be no turning. There would be no coming back. Jesus uses this illustration with the intent of showing that following him requires that same kind of saying goodbye to our own will and desires because of our commitment to him. This is that all-in mentality that I talked about when I first got here a year ago. By the way, I forgot to mention, last week was my one-year anniversary of being the pastor here. When I first got here, I talked about being all-in. We need to be all-in. That's what Jesus is looking for. Individuals who they will follow him wholeheartedly regardless of what else is going on. Some of you may think that this requirement of total commitment to be a follower of Jesus is contradictory to scriptural truth that salvation is a free gift of God. Let me give you an illustration to clarify how this is not a contradiction. Suppose I had a desire to climb Mount Everest. I don't have such a desire, and I think that those who do are lacking in common sense. But suppose that I did have a desire to go climb Mount Everest, but it cost $70,000 to do it, and I don't have that kind of money. Suppose a wealthy businessman heard of my desire, and he offered to pay the entire expedition. 
He would buy all the expensive clothing and gear. He would pay for my transportation, the guides, and the training. It's totally free for me. But if I accept his free gift, I've just committed myself to months of difficult training and arduous effort. It could even cost me my very life because many climbers die trying to climb Mount Everest. It is a free gift, yet it is still very costly. And the same is true as we become true disciples who count the cost. There is a cost to discipleship. Jesus then goes on to give some visual illustrations. The first involves a builder. The other involves going to battle. In both cases, Jesus is pointing to the fact that it is foolish to start the process without counting the cost ahead of time. In other words, don't say you're going to do this if you're not willing to follow through on what you've said. It's not enough to claim that you want to do it. It reminds me of Joshua and his final address to the people of Israel, Joshua 24. Joshua is addressing them, and as he does, he tells them the familiar statement, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. You guys are familiar with it. Uh, whether the gods of the Amorites or the gods uh, in the land who, of the people who land, in whose land you are now living. He says, but for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, this sounds like such a no-brainer for us. The Israelites knew that God had been very, very good to them. He was the one who provided for them to get them out of Egypt, took them out of slavery. He was the one who parted the Red Sea so that they could cross. He was the one who guided them all along the journey, provided food, provided water, provided victory in battle after battle, provided them uh, passage through the Jordan River, gave them victory in the land of Canaan, and now they were enjoying the blessings of the promised land. God had been very, very good to the people of Israel. So when Joshua says to them, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, that's a no-brainer. Of course they're going to serve the Lord. In fact, they respond very quickly and logically. They said, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. And while that sounds like a great statement of faith, Joshua curiously seems to try to talk them out of their decision. In verse 19 of Joshua 24, he says, you are not able to serve the Lord. He's a little bit schizophrenic. He just told them, you choose who you want to serve. Do you want to serve the one true living God or do you want to serve these false gods who have been defeated? He told them to choose and then they choose. He says, nope, you can't do it. There's a good idea, but there's no way that you're going to be, get it, be able to do it. Wrong answer. But he wasn't really trying to talk them out of what they just said. He simply wanted them to count the cost. 
if you're really going to serve the Lord, then you need to serve the Lord. Sounds good that you're declaring your allegiance to him, but are you willing to count the cost and be faithful even if things don't go your way? He's telling them it's not enough to just say you want to follow. It's not enough to be aware of how good God has been to you. They will need to be fully committed to God above everything else. They need to count the cost. There's an old commercial that was on TV several years ago, and I want you to look at it. Obviously, that was someone who didn't count the cost. By the way, let me just clarify, I am not embracing tattoos. If you were wondering, that's not what that purpose was. The purpose was the individual went in to go get a tattoo, and as he went in, his plan was to get an I Love Donna tattoo, but he realized he didn't have enough money. So he got an I Love Don tattoo instead. Why? Because he didn't count the cost ahead of time. We've got to figure out what it is that God expects of us. If we're going to follow him, we need to be able to follow him. Understand that sometimes that's going to mean sacrifice. Are you willing to sacrifice? That commercial shows the foolishness of, cons of not considering the cost of something irrevocable halfway through. One should consider and make sure one is willing to pay the cost prior to making the commitment. Jesus wants us to ask ourselves, am I in this for the long haul? Am I truly committed to him? There's only one way to truly follow Jesus. To be a true disciple, you must be committed to him above everything else. The term committed has almost become a foreign word in our society. Men are often ridiculed because they're afraid of commitment. And there is some merit in that accusation. Others have committed to something like a marriage or a job only to jump ship as soon as something better comes along. And then there's commitment to the church or to the Lord. Let's start with the church. As we attend church, a recent poll revealed that 69% of the population admits to not attending church on a regular basis. Truthfully, I expected that number to be higher. The same poll revealed that giving in churches is below depression era levels meaning that fewer people are giving and those who are giving typically give far less than previous generations. I read an interesting article on this that suggested that the two primary factors, that there are two primary factors that have encouraged this drop off. The first suggestion is that our giving is diminished because we have become more of a consumer driven society. It's more about us getting what we want. We live in debt. 91% of all Americans live in some form of debt. And the problem with that is now we're paying extra things that we didn't have to pay before. It's called interest. And if we're, not, if we're losing money there, then often we become less likely to give to the church. So one of the reasons is because we've become very consumer driven. The other suggestion is that giving is affected by skepticism, which originates from charitable organizations that have lacked integrity. Simply put, it makes people less likely to give so that, because they do not trust the people that they are giving to. There are many things that reveal this lack of commitment, but what it comes down to is the fact that we must be all in. A true disciple is not one that is sometimes in and sometimes out. According to verse 33, a disciple must be willing to give everything. It is what God has called us to be. Everything is a fairly inclusive word. Everything means everything. It means your cushy job, 
your favorite hobby, your most prized possession, your free time, your money, your goals, your dreams, and more. And we may not literally have to give up everything or even any of the things that I just mentioned, but Jesus is referring to an attitude of the heart in which these things don't have priority over him. If God were to call you to give up your golf game, would you be willing to do so? If God were to call you to go to a place that maybe it caused great discomfort for you, would you be willing to go? If God were to tell you that you need to break off a friendship or a relationship with somebody that you really like, I'm talking about those who are not married, husbands and wives, I'm not telling you to divorce. If you've got a boyfriend or girlfriend and the Lord were to tell you to give up that relationship, are you willing to do so simply because he's the one who told you to do it? God calls us to be fully committed to him no matter what. In closing, Jesus uses the image of salt that has lost its saltiness. He suggests that it's useless. Connecting this with what he's just shared, he's saying that when we start out on a path, but we aren't really committed to the path, we become useless. Imagine basically salt that gives you high blood pressure but doesn't actually increase the flavor. That's just dumb. Leadership Magazine once ran a cartoon that showed a church building with a billboard in front. I think it'll be on the screen behind me there. Small letters, so let me read it to you. This is what the sign says. The Light Church, 24% fewer commitments, home of the 7.5% tithe, 15-minute sermons, 45-minute worship services. We have only eight commandments, your choice. We use three spiritual laws and have an 800-year millennium. Everything you've wanted in a church and less. This cartoon may present what people are looking for in a church, but to follow Jesus, we must be fully committed to him. That is the priority for us. What does it mean to be a true disciple? You cannot do it halfway. You have to be willing to go all the way. Will you be one who is a true disciple? Will you be a committed follower to Jesus Christ? Or will you be a casual follower of Jesus Christ? Young people, let me suggest to you today that now is the time to make that decision. Don't wait until somewhere down the road when you're in a point of crisis and you you begin to question, well, do I really believe in God? Make the decision now so that you don't have to fight that battle at that point. To the older generation, it's time to stop talking about a committed faith in Christ. And it's time to embrace a committed faith in Christ. I love the idea of reaching out to the lost. It's one of the priorities for me. But I wonder... I assume all of you guys would say the same thing. Yeah, we want to reach the lost. I wonder, what are you willing to do to make that happen? You say you're committed to it. What are you willing to do? Are you truly committed to Jesus Christ above everything else? What if reaching the lost means we sing different songs on Sunday morning? You still okay? You still want to reach the lost? 
what if reaching the lost means changing some of the things about our facility? What if it means sitting in chairs as opposed to pews? Do you still want to reach the lost? Are you still committed to it? Or did I just cross a line and now all of a sudden you're not as committed as you were before? What does it mean to truly be committed to Jesus Christ above everything else? Are you committed or are you casual? If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we are grateful for your grace. For every one of us has sinned. Every one of us at some point or another found ourselves casually following you rather than being in a committed relationship with you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the forgiveness that you have sent our way. But Lord, I pray today that we would no longer be satisfied with that casual Christian life. Help us to be people who are committed to you above everything else so that no matter where you would lead, no matter what you would call us to do, we would be willing to do it simply because it's what you desire. Maybe you look in our lives and you say, I love it just the way it is. Stay on course. Help us to just be willing to do whatever it is you would have us do. Help us to be a church. Help us to be individuals who are committed to you above everything else. Lord, as we come before you, we believe very firmly that you desire to do great things for us. As you spoke to these disciples in the Gospel of Luke, Lord, you were talking to people who were going to change the world. And I believe that you still desire to change the world through your people. So today, Lord, I pray that you would empower us as those who are fully committed to you. Empower us to change the world. Empower us to go out and to make a difference, to, to truly bring your grace to the world around us. As we come before you today, Lord, my, my sincerest desire is that we would truly become the disciples you called us to be. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I tell you, I didn't ask for an altar call this morning. I didn't do it on purpose. And the reason is because I wanted you to be able to consider what it truly means to be a disciple. I don't want it to be an emotional thing where you look and you say, you know what, I think that uh, maybe I should because the person beside me just went to the altar. Maybe I haven't been as committed as what I need to and I'll go up because other people are going or because it's probably just the right thing to do. No. As with Joshua addressing the people of Israel, I declare, no, you are not able. It's not because I want to talk you out of it. But I want you to truly count the cost. Are you willing to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ? I hope so. The best way to show it is not to come to the altar this morning, but rather to live a life that truly does display the goodness of Jesus Christ. It is a privilege to be able to worship with you today. It has been for me. I hope it has been for you. As you leave today, leave with the blessing of God. Go out as those who are truly committed to him. Thank you for being with us. We're dismissed. Mm -hmm.